Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, episode 58, Narcissism and the Pastor. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hey Scott, how are you? It's another day. It's another day, that's right. We are, summer is theoretically supposed to be slower for pastors, at least I'm told that. It never seems like that is the case for me. I'm not entirely sure why. No, when I served in the parish, it was just always different. You had you had a different schedule than during the year, but it was not slower. Right, right. So, um, yeah. So I'm I'm getting ready to teach a class. I'm getting ready to take a class. Getting ready for vacation. Getting ready for VBS and for higher things trip. And you know, it's just kind of a, a, I have about ten days of prep time here, and then. Everything happens in about an eight-week stretch, kind of boom, 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 boom. I don't know what that is going to mean for our schedule in terms of recording, among other things. We may end up taking a uh, summer break from recording. I'm not sure. We'll see. Take it, take a hiatus. Yeah, we might. I'd, I'd like to do more, but it may mean we go to every two weeks or every three weeks or something like that for the summertime. And uh, I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll kind of see what we're see what's cooking along the way, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, so what are you teaching or learning or preparing to teach right now? (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm not teaching right now. Um, so you know, I teach at Concordia University in Irvine and of course we're on summer break, but, um, in one month starting July 5th, I will be teaching bioethics for healthcare professionals, which I taught last year in the summer and the fall, and I'll be teaching it again. It's for nursing students. And uh, so what I'm doing is I'm spending this month, one of the things I'm doing this month, the month of June, is um, uh, re-examining my course and uh, going through and tweaking it. And I've added a textbook and taken away a textbook. And um, so I'm, I'm tweaking my bioethics course, basically, the whole thing. Gotcha. Well, after you've taught it a couple times, that sort of yeah, yeah, sort of makes sense, I guess. Well, I am uh, I am teaching a D-min class. I think I've mentioned it here before. I'm teaching a D-min class for the Fort Wayne Seminary, uh, titled Pastoral Renewal and Spiritual Growth. Mm-hmm. And so, this is a class that sort of kind of diagnoses why why pastors are in need of renewal and growth. And then what are the tools that the church has historically used, that God has historically used to, uh, to bring about that, that renewal and growth? That's basically what the class is. And, uh, and so this is a hybrid class, which means it's partly online, partly on campus. So right now we're in the online portion and we're looking at uh, different types of uh, devotional or meditation tools that the that uh, that are available to Lutheran pastors. We'll be on campus in a couple of weeks, uh, and we'll we'll do that. So I expect we'll. Uh, I'm sure that we'll get at least one more episode in before the summer crazies begin, and uh, maybe we can talk about some of that a little bit more at that point. But that's kind of what I'm in the middle of of uh, working on is uh, is that class right now, which is fun. Um, this is a class I taught. I want to say four years ago, maybe. Something like that, and so I've done it before, which is helpful. But uh, uh, but it's a great class. It's really quite a lot of fun, and uh, and I love doing this sort of thing. It's very seminar oriented, that kind of that kind of stuff. So it's cool. 
Yeah, good. That's very cool. Yeah, I like it. Um, our topic for today was one that came out of a, uh, I'll say, an ecumenical conversation. One of the podcasts that I'm pretty sure that one of us uh, picked as a joy bringer a few months ago is a podcast called Good Guys Wear Black. And it's hosted by a, a Ukrainian Orthodox priest named Father Anthony Perkins. Hello, Father Anthony. And uh, it's a great podcast, very similar to what we do, uh, only he's, uh, at least to this point that I have heard, uh, doing these solo, but very similar kind of outline and conversation, sort of what does it mean to be a priest or pastor in 21st century? What are the challenges? What are the opportunities? That sort of thing. So very similar to what we do. Um, and Father Anthony and I started having a, a, a conversation recently, online conversation, uh, about the topic of narcissism. This is something he has discussed in uh, in a couple different episodes. And it's been such an interesting discussion. I thought it would be worth bringing to our uh, bringing to our little circle of the world. Um, so, so what do you think of when you think of the word narcissism, Scott, or being a, or a narcissist? What does that what does that typically mean in your mind? Are you talking to me? I'm talking to you. That, that's what I think of. You yeah. know, I, I, I think it has to do with a person being um, what the, 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 the big fancy term that comes to my mind is solipsism, you know, where everything circles around the self and, and a narcissist. Of course, there's the Greek myth, right? The right. origin of the narcissist. word, the Greek myth, Narcissus, who uh, was looking in his reflection in the water and fell in love with the beautiful face that he saw and tried to get closer and fell into the river and, and, and drowned. Right. And, and so, um, a narcissist is someone who's basically in love with themselves. Mm -hmm. How, this is one of the things I struggle with this concept. How does that differ from original sin? I mean, isn't that essentially what original sin is, is to be curved in on oneself, to be sort of self-worship? Well, I don't think it's a difference in kind as much as it's a difference in, in scope or degree. Okay. Um, I think that someone who gets the diagnosis of narcissist is someone that is so, is so much that way that it, you know, it, it reaches a certain level. I don't know that I'm not, a, I'm not obviously not a psychiatrist or psychologist, but I think that it reaches, it can for some people reach a certain level that it becomes, um, clinical, right? you know, the, it gets observed clinically and, um, you know, it, it interferes with relationships, interferes with their ability to work and to function. Right. Um, right. But well, you're right. You're right. I mean, our understanding of our understanding of original sin is that, that a person is by nature curved in upon himself. Right. Now, in some respects, it reminds me uh, a little bit of, uh, of, 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 of the, of the relationship between normal and abnormal. You know, mm -hmm. it's a that we're talking about uh, uh, oftentimes when we talk about mental illnesses, we're really talking about uh, a scale. It's not binary. It's not mm -hmm. a zero one. So if you have uh, I remember um, uh, Dr. Bev Yonke occasionally use an analogy, something like this, that if you saw someone with one tattoo on the inside of their wrist, uh, you at least in today's society, you probably wouldn't think much of that. But if you saw someone that had tattoos over their entire body, every orifice, mm -hmm. you would think that that was abnormal, that there was mm -hmm. something strange. Well, and, and so with depression, 
you can have uh, everyone goes through periods of, of of being in a depressive state. But at what point does depression move from something that every human being experiences to something clinical? Mm-hmm. That's at least in my mind, that's sort of the uh, sort of the, the range or scope there. And in the same way, that's true with narcissism. Everyone is uh, be, by nature because of our understanding of, of, uh, of inherited sin. Everyone is curved in upon themselves in, in, very, in many and various ways, as, the, as to paraphrase Hebrews. Um, but, but there is a difference between, uh, between that and something that becomes something that becomes clinical. To the, to the point where uh, they're, no, they're no longer able to have or maintain relationships, as you put it, and, you know, professional, personal, whatever. Now, I think, and, and you can, uh, I don't know, maybe you agree or disagree with this, I don't know. I think that, that there is something about the pastoral office that attracts the narcissist. That, that attracts the person that is that that craves attention that always wants to be the center of attention that wants it to be about them whatever it is good bad ugly and that sort of wants wants to have everything drawn into themselves uh, do you think that's true Scott well I haven't read any kind of studies that say that but it it makes sense sure um, knowing what you know, from experience, what being a pastor is like, um, and from being a professor too, um, I, I think that it it makes sense that it would draw people who have narcissistic tendencies, um, based on anecdotal evidence. Um, on in, just in terms of my observations, I think that there's some truth to that. Sure, I remember you know, 20 years ago when we were doing the admission gig that um, that. You would, on a fairly regular basis, you'd have people that would come that it would be a variant of, I think God has given me a special gift or a special vision to share with the, mm-hmm. with the church and that I have to, you know, that I have, I feel compelled to share this, um, this with me. And I always, you know, just always kind of made me uh, a little bit leery. If someone, if someone thought too highly of themselves, um, or, you know, I mean, Todd's talking about when we used to work at the seminary in Fort right. Wayne, our, our Lutheran seminary in Fort Wayne, we used to be admissions counselors there, and we would always talk to prospective students to the seminary. And, um, you know, it's, it's, or if somebody is uh, a little too certain, you know, whether, where they come in and they, I'm called, you know, they don't actually have a, what we would call a, a call, you know, right. from a church, no church has called them, but they have some internal sense of a vocation, you know, right. of a, to, to be a priest or to be a pastor. And, um, to which we would, we would say, well, you know, I mean, it's good that you have an internal sense of, of, of calling, you know, maybe that's a desire to preach, right. you know, a desire right. to serve. Other people have maybe indicated to you. I think I always think that's a good sign. What do other people say? People that know you like your pastor, <laughs> right? You know, does right. that person agree with this sense that you have? Um, yeah, but I'm when almost someone, less interested in their opinion than I am <laughs> right. in other people's opinion of them. 
<laughs> right, right. I mean, whenever someone's a little too certain of their suitability or fitness or God's God's will um, about their specific choice of vocation or their specific calling, then it gets little. Those are those are little pink flags, red right. flags, and and yet at the on. same time. You do want someone to, in some degree, to actually desire. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's even in the Bible. If anyone desires the office of bishop, he desires a noble work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in the Bible, right? I'm not making that yeah. up. Yeah. No, no, you're not. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad. Yeah. So, so there is this weird kind of, kind of thing. Now, um, one of the, one of the books that I'm reading, uh, for this class that I'm taking this summer, I've got my, like orientation class for this demon that I'm starting and preaching. One of the books that we're reading is a is a book called The Preaching Life by Barbara Brown Taylor. Uh, mm. a wonderful, amazing writer, just a, a brilliant writer. I believe an Anglican or Episcopalian priest, um, and uh, and and just a, a reminds me a lot of like Kathleen Norris, maybe um, a great writer. But I have lots of really interesting theological question marks as I'm reading through this. One of the sections in this is a section on the call. How do you, uh, you know, how do you, uh, how do you, do you have a call to be a preacher? Mm-hmm. How do you know you have a call to be a preacher? What does it mean to have a call to be a preacher? All this kind of, all this kind of language. And of course, um, there are different ways that different, um, different churches answer that question. I mean, a lot of churches will talk about an, an an inner call or something along those lines. Lutherans have have traditionally really, really shied away from inner call language. That is that is for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, but that it, it strikes me that inner call language can can easily connect with um can easily connect to narcissism. Oh, sure. Lines. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, when people when people are, you know, hyper aware of God's work in their life and, you know, and like I said, it's just this amount of certainty. You know, I, you know, I know I, I might be sounding a bit like a postmodernist, but I think you have to have a degree of humility. And if you come across, I, I'll never forget, you know, when um, my, my my great story about this type of thing was, oh, 10 years ago or more, whenever I was a pastor in Pittsburgh, however, <laughs> whenever that was, right. I was, I was on a radio show with, um, Don Matsett and we had this evening, Sunday evening radio show, Don Matsett's another Lutheran pastor. And, um, a guy called in one time and said, Hey, you know, the Lord spoke to me and told me that I'm supposed to be, uh, a regular guest host on your radio program. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, our answer was, well, the Lord hasn't spoken to us. So, you know, until that happens. And I, and I, but the guy was serious. The guy wasn't sure. making a joke. Oh, the totally guy was, pious. I have no doubts. Right. The guy was completely serious. He felt as if the Lord was directing him to be our co-host on this radio program. And I don't know, maybe he would have been great. But uh, we didn't end up asking him back on the show. Let's no say kidding. That. No. <laughs> No, but you know, I mean, people, you know, whenever somebody is kind of hyper certain about 
God's will for their life, other than, you know, obviously other than things that are clearly spelled out in scripture, you know, God wants us all. There's certain things we can say of, of, of the Christian life that, that we can be certain about, but, um, your specific vocation is, um, it comes about in a more complex, organic way than just sort of, oh, I have this internal sense. Is that narcissism? Yeah. Yeah. Is that narcissism? It could be. I don't necessarily think it always is. I think sometimes people just have a misunderstanding of what it means to be called. Sure. There's a and faulty they, theology that can be a work, basically. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think you're I think you're right there. Now now here here was the, the thing that uh that Father Anthony observed that I found really interesting. And that and that was in in kind of orthodox language that in his in his mind and I'm sure in the mind of others that it is the the disciplines of the church of of asceticism in the case of the orthodox that really um, that kind of inoculate the priest against against narcissism or or maybe maybe we could even say weeds out the perspective priest that that may struggle with narcissism uh so that there are kind of disciplines both physical disciplines and spiritual disciplines of the church that um that kind of force the that force the the prospective pastor or priest to kind of get over themselves mm-hmm and to uh, and to recognize that it is not simply about them and about their wonderful gifts, but that there is something much much greater at work than themselves, and that they're not the center of the they're not the center of the universe. Um, and I don't know. I found that a fascinating insight, which kind of forces me to ask the question: What is it in the church today? In in Lutheran church, let's just kind of take our own life here. What is it in the Lutheran Church in how we train pastors, how we kind of how we form pastors, how we think about the pastoral office? What are the um, what are the the pieces of that process that that will that will weed out the narcissist that will will restrain? Maybe that's even a better word. Will restrain our own tendencies toward narcissism or kind of extreme selfishness. Well, I think that, you know, asceticism in terms of self-denial, you know, denying the self <laughs> obviously right. is counter to the the program of the narcissist. Usually, but I, isn't there such a thing as a spiritual narcissist? I mean, isn't there someone sure. who is going to take great pride in their self-denial? Oh, I mean, sure. I think yeah, there are there are those who may see that that makes them even holier. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's maybe not narcissism in, in, in a way, but it's something else. Not in a clinical sense, at least, right? Yeah. But, but there can be another malady where someone can be kind of, um, um, you know, uh, full of themselves because they are such an ascetic. Um, you know, I mean, I think asceticism itself can be kind of a, um, you know, a self-improvement policy that, that can be overdone right i mean i you know there are extremes just like with anything so what's the difference between narcissism and phariseeism yeah or you know or something of that right you know i i uh i i fast twice a week i give you know i Mm -hmm. give you know pharisee and the publican sort of sort of language Mm -hmm. exactly what is the difference there and how and and i do think 
I do think that that dis- the disciplines of the church or the disciplines of the pastoral life, let's put it that way, um, can can help to shape the pastor or reshape the pastor and and curb some of some of these um, more extreme examples or greater challenges. Um, but along with anything, there is a, there is a danger mm-hmm. and that's really the, that's really the, uh, the trick. Now, I, I don't know. It's almost like there's a couple levels. Cause as I, as I look at it and as I look at pastoral, pastoral formation today, uh, one of the things, if you were to, if you were to hang out with a bunch of, uh, crotchety old pastors from the good old days and, uh, and sort of ask what, what was it like uh, learning, studying, learning, preparing to be a pastor? Um, uh, at least in my experience, and you may have a different one, Scott, I don't know. My experience, you're going to find that there was a great sense of community, that you had these guys that were all going through the system together. You know, we had system schools. Everybody went through various junior colleges and then went to Concordia Senior College. And, and you, had, you had various, um, various disciplines that also kind of um, everybody had to do that had to kind of conform to, you know, Greek, Hebrew, some cases Latin, German, etc. Um, and that these that these disciplines kind of um, crushed uh, a lot of a, a lot of uh, I don't know individualism isn't quite the right word, but crushed this notion that um, that you were the the be all end all on your own. But that there were an awful lot of people, an awful lot of pastors that had gone before you and that will be after you um, and that you are a part of something much greater than yourself. Now, I wonder sometimes if that if we have lost that and what's the cost along the way? Yeah, I think that the pastors in our particular Lutheran denomination um, may not have the same level of camaraderie and um, sense of community with each other that that we perceive previous generations to have had. Yeah, and how um, much of that's actually true? Of course, right. you're, you're talking about an idealized memory there, to some it degree is. at least. Yeah, it is. So I don't know. I yeah. I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I I I mean, I, I think that you know, obviously. To be a pastor, you have to leave everything, right? I mean, you yep. have to, you have to die to yourself. You know, to be a Christian, you know, it's it's the it's the Dietrich Bonhoeffer: when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You know, we are to die to ourselves, and 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 that's a daily thing, and and that can, and that obviously is counter to to narcissism or to egoism. Yeah, it's almost but, a better term, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, maybe. But um but at the same time, again, we have to beware, you know, cuz there's going to be someone who can turn that into a work, can turn that into an idol. Um, you know, that that like you said the Pharisee, you know, I fast twice a week, I I tithe, you know, I'm 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 sacrificial. Um well, you know, you know, if if that becomes sort of your your boasting points before the Lord, then then it's 
it's counterproductive. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I, you, you alluded to like maybe the languages, studying the languages being a way to crucify the self yeah. um, because they're, they're difficult and it, and it you know, f- except for those to whom it's not difficult. <laughs> I right, mean, there, right. are, there are those who excel. come easily. Right. Mm-hmm. right. right. Others not so much. Yeah. Now, but, here's, a, here's a, just another thought on this. And this is just kind of um, free thinking here, obviously. Um, another one of the pieces which we as a church body are currently struggling with is, is frankly, the role of community at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think of uh, the rise of alternate routes to the ministry, distance education. This is uh, our uh, lay deacon or lay ministry programs, all of which to a greater or lesser extent kind of have as their premise that being formed in a community to serve as a pastor is not the only way to do it. That it can be done by individual mentorship, that it can be done through distance education, that there are other factors that come into play, which mean that that formation in a community is not the, is not kind of the centerpiece of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that is, uh, uh, I don't know, I, I, I often feel like what we, what we te- tend to do with that is pit the need against the community Basically, that, you know, we've got this this almost archaic system of sending a man or man and his family off to, you know, some godforsaken place in the Midwest, says the Californian, um, to to study for two to four years. And then he has to pick pack up everything. And while there are these little churches or larger churches all over the country that are in great need right now mm-hmm. and who are. Who are we to say that spending all of this time, all of this money and everything else is the only way to do it? Mm-hmm. Far less the best way to do it. Yeah. Um, but what are we giving up along the way? That's, uh, I mean, I don't have an answer to that. I'm guessing you, if you do, I really want you to tell me. Because I'll be really no, ticked you. if you have the answer and you're just hiding mm-hmm. out on me here. No, I'm with you. I mean, I think that, that you know, so that. I mean, I, I look at our sem- our pr- way of preparing pastors using seminaries and our traditional way of doing things is kind of our gold standard, uh, you know, but um, we're doing other things, whether we like it or not. Right. I mean, our, our, our Absolutely. Is, do- is doing other other routes to prepare pastors. And, and, and I can see some of the arguments at times, you know, for, for doing sort of a a mentorship or something. I, but at the same time, I'm with you. It's like, what, what are we sacrificing? What, you know, does this man really receive, uh, the same kind of formation, uh, the, the right kind of formation, a full formation, or are we, are we selling him short, um, with some of our approaches? I, I, I'm not sure what the answer is on that, yeah. to be frank. Well, and I'll, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just have one minor rant here. And that is the, the, Almost the textbook example of when that often happens is is in uh, is in ethnic groups where you have a very specialized ministry, whatever it is, Hispanic, Hmong, Vietnamese, you you name it, and that and so to have someone that has that has gone through our traditional program but doesn't know Hmong or isn't a, doesn't kind of understand this culture doesn't understand the 
the context and there's nothing that they can do to actually kind of make themselves become a part of that context. Um, and, and so that means is, is that the context is more important than the formation, essentially. And so you end up oftentimes having pastors that are in incredibly challenging circumstances where you're talking about immigrant, immigrant groups that have, you know, that have left everything behind and oftentimes have been in, in places fraught with violence and all sorts of other, all sorts of other things, which I can only just imagine as a pastor. Um, and then saying, okay, and we don't believe that the, that the pastor's that serve these people need to have the same level of training as the white bread pastor in rural, rural Nebraska. Well, that seems like the worst kind of, of, um, I, I don't, I don't know, patriarchalism or, or something. It, 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 that they is, can have a second rate pastor. Yeah. Be, what? Because they're, because they're an ethnic group. That just seems fundamentally wrong to me. And, yeah, and I again, I, I fully recognize you're talking about need versus uh, need versus kind of a long term picture and, um, and 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 that there's no kind of brilliant answer there. But uh, and, and we've probably gone we've probably gone down a rabbit trail here. That's that uh, that would be a whole nother discussion. I don't know. But I think these are all sort of related is that if you have if the pastor if the pastor thinks of himself as the as the kind of the the spiritual center of the place that he is the that he is the focal point he is the vision caster he is the heartbeat etc um and he is not actually under under orders that he is if he, if, if he doesn't understand that he is that he is a servant and not a and not a visioneer then, then there is uh, great trouble afoot. That is mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, no one's indispensable, and we need to kind of pound that out of the guy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I, I, you know, I had a real love hate relationship with my Greek instructor in college. Um, in retrospect, he was a brilliant teacher, and and I thank God for him every time I open my Greek New Testament. But I definitely did not have a very close relationship with him while I was in Greek. Uh, in fact, it was somewhat antagonistic sometimes. Um, and that was absolutely the right and necessary thing for me. No question about it. It was the best thing for me, um, even if I did not like it at the time. One final thought before we go, and, uh, and we'll have to save this for another, for another conversation, I think. Uh, and this is my last, uh, last, last little blurb from Father Anthony, and that is: Does the liturgy, um, kind of inoculate the church against uh, narcissistic pastors or priests? Does having this kind of set structure and and form so great against the narcissist that either they won't enter it or they will? Um, or they'll they'll buck against it so that they will be problems. So that the liturgy kind of serves as a protection against the personality of the pastor. Well, I don't know what it's like for for a priest in the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. In our circle, um, I think it kind of does because, and I think that's one one reason, you know, not the sole reason, but maybe one reason why 
many of our pastors are so free to dispense with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it, that I think is a question that will, that is worth our mm-hmm. further thought along the way. That is, uh, that is Agreed. for sure. So probably enough on narcissism today. Do you feel like you've gotten all of your narcissism out now, Scott? Never. Never. <laughs> exactly. There's a there's a plenty more where that came from, mm-hmm. I'm sure. So if you want to uh, give us a little bit of feedback on this uh, topic or thought, you can find us at thecruxofthematter.net. And you can find this episode at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 58 and and you can also email us at feedback at the crux of the matter dot net. I would uh, welcome any comments or thoughts that anyone else may have along the way. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, if you have a, an alternative uh, approach or thought to this, we would definitely love to uh, love to hear it. So this summertime, Scott, uh, anything bringing you joy? Pray tell. Well, you know, as I've as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I've been doing some study on uh, bioethics, but. Um, in addition to that, off and on over the last, especially over the last two years, I've been teaching myself German and uh, making some progress. And uh, and so um, about a year ago, <laughs> roughly the same time I moved, um, I uh, I went ahead and got Rosetta Stone. Now, some of you have heard of it. I'm going to, this is a plug for Rosetta Stone, but it's a conditioned one. Um, it's a very helpful resource. It's actually a very good uh, resource, but um, I couldn't do something like that without also having a textbook. I'm too, whatever half, whichever hemisphere of my brain is dominant. I, I absolutely need to have the textbook where I'm memorizing forms and uh, memorizing declensions and conjugations and, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, in addition to the Rosetta Stone, but what I have found is kind of this great combination of things of using a textbook, using, I actually have a couple, using a couple of textbooks. And Rosetta Stone as a software, as, and there are other other programs um, like Rosetta Stone. I can't think of any of them right now, but there are several others I looked at. And uh, using that for drills, and mm-hmm. and that's been bringing me joy this last. Oh, I mean, I, I've picked it up again in the last couple of weeks, and um, I, I'm going to try and spend this summer really kind of diving deep in, into my German studies. And this is my tools. These are my cool. tools. Cool. Rosetta Stone German. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I um, my pick for this week is a, a book that I just got in the mail. Um, and the book is by our synodical president, Matthew Harrison. Mm. And the name of the okay. book, I'm going to grab it here while we're talking, is Letters from a Pastor's Heart. Essentially what this is, is uh, a collection of uh, President Harrison's articles that were in the Lutheran Witness over the last five years, maybe, something like that. Um, president Harrison has been the uh, president of our church body since 2010. And this is a collection of those uh, of those little kind of back-of-the-page Lutheran Witness articles. And they are great. Um, president Harrison is a uh, is a wonderful writer, uh, a great uh, a great thinker, and they are they are they are concise. They're they're kind of on target. They they deal with very uh, very simple and and yet timeless uh, timeless topics: the church, the Bible, the gospel, Christ. Um, each one of them is uh, probably five hundred words, maybe. Maybe less. That's I'm perfect. not sure. Yeah. They're not long. Uh, they're basically newsletter articles, and they are mm. brilliant. 
and and they give a I think a great picture of uh, of what it means to be a pastor to a church body, which I is something that I would never want, and uh, and I uh, pray for him every day because that is a tremendous burden that uh, that I think so. So that's the that's the book. It's published by Concordia Publishing House. Uh, Letters from a pastor heart, pastor's heart by President Matthew Harrison. Yeah, I've seen that advertised, and um, obviously, you know, it's going to be on my on my list of, of books to get. And uh, so I'm glad to hear that you picked it up and that you're enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. I'm I am enjoying it. I've read most of these before because they're in the mm-hmm. Lutheran Witness, but to have them all in mm-hmm. kind of one place in a nice little uh, nice little package is a really uh, is a great thing. So that's my pick. Awesome. Yep. Anything else for our fine listeners, my friend? No, I think we're good. I think so, too. And on that uh, note, we will uh, see you next time. Thanks a lot. All right. Goodbye.